The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missioday.org. So Ephesians chapter number six, verses one through four, the Bible says this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And so, as we we dug into a bit last week, sandwiched between be filled with the Holy Spirit, of chapter number five and the instruction given to the church on spiritual warfare of Ephesians chapter number six, we see Paul talk about how Ephesians one through three, all that identity, we are blessed, we are loved, we are equipped, we've been given all these blessings and beautiful things in Christ, now they're gonna play out uh, in the details of our relationships, husbands, wives, children, parents, Employee, employer, master, slave is the language they use, representative of that. We'll dive into a little bit more of that next week. What does it mean to engage in spirit-filled relationships inside of these categories? Um, And there's something else to it. We can understand this placement in the text to mean that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to engage in these relationships faithfully and fruitfully. And we also understand that these relationships are both the target for and the defense of spiritual warfare. So as we engage in that, we'll learn, and we learned last week that marriage is a beautiful representation of God's kingdom, and it's one that's necessary to fight off spiritual warfare, right? The same, children and parents. Uh, What does Satan attack that he thinks he has the most ability to attack? Family, right? There's politics, there's all kinds of things that are working against what a family is and what a family should be. And God is building us up in, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in defense of spiritual warfare that's coming against the family to really equip us and understand what it means to be a family who is filled with the Spirit. Right? And so there's grateful instruction for us, those of us that are parents. This is great instruction for those of us that aren't parents and desire to be parents. This is also great instruction for people that may never desire to be parents. But we have kids in our life, whether they're cousins or nieces, nephews, friends, or we serve in Missio Kids, that we are discipling and building up in the gospel. Hopefully, that one day they'll become faithful, fruitful followers of Jesus. Does that make sense? I think there's some application that we all can take away from today. And so I wanna jump into this. The first thing is this. Specifically to the kids, Paul writes this. And the summary of what he wrote in Ephesians chapter number one through three could be stated as this. Childlike obedience reflects Jesus' obedience to the Father. Childlike obedience reflects Jesus' obedience to the Father. The Father, children, you were made in the image of God. 
because you were made in the image of God, you have tremendous value as an image bearer of God. You were created uniquely, you were wired differently than anybody else, and God created you with a purpose. That purpose was to bring glory to God. And as Paul writes this letter, he includes some instruction to you so that you uh, feel loved, you feel valued, you feel part of the body that you belong to. And one of the main ways that you, as a child, can learn even early on as a young, young kid to glorify God is to honor and obey your parents, right? Honor and obey your parents. It is your parents' job to teach you the ways of God and guide you in life to a life that is one that learns to trust and follow Jesus. And as they do that, Jesus instructs you to honor them and obey them. What does it mean to obey your parents? Children obey their parents by listening to their parents and then doing what their parents told them to do, right? This is hard, isn't it? Like I remember being a kid and like my parents telling me what I should do and there were a couple reasons that I wouldn't wanna listen to them. Sometimes the reason I wouldn't wanna listen to them because they were telling me to do something and I wanted to do something else, right? And it didn't make it, it, didn't make it right that I wanted to do something else, but I'd much rather go out in the backyard than wash the dishes or whatever it was that they were telling me to do. But sometimes I would not do what they asked me to do for no other reason then I didn't wanna do it because they were asking me to do it, right? And both of those are sinful responses to Jesus's instructions through Paul here in Ephesians 1 where it tells us to obey our parents and honor our parents. But why should we obey our parents? Because it's one thing to understand that we should or shouldn't do something, but why should we do it? And we see in our, our text this morning as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesians, we see there's a couple reasons. The first one is that uh, we see this in verse one where he says, honor and obey your parents for this is right. So we see that obeying our parents pleases God, right? It pleases God. First, or Colossians chapter number three, verse 20 says this. It says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. When you obey your parents, you are obeying God, right? And that's a beautiful thing. Something we all should desire is to live lives in obedience to God. And the, the primary way and the first way we learn to do that is by obeying our parents, all right? The second thing obeying our parents does is it displays Jesus, right? When we obey our parents, it displays Jesus. Did you know that Jesus obeyed his father. Even when he didn't want to do something his father had asked him to do, Jesus still obeyed him. You say, how's that? How did that happen? See, God planned for Jesus to come to earth to die for the sins of the whole world so that those who believe in Jesus would be rescued from their sins. That's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool that Jesus would do that. And as you as children, obey your parents, something happens. You're teaching yourself, 
You're teaching your family, your parents, your brothers and sisters, and you're teaching those of you that are around you what Jesus did in obeying his father. So as we obey Jesus, we put on display the glory of God, the beauty of the cross, and the glory of the gospel, which is pretty amazing. And then the third reason Paul gives us in this text in verse three is just obeying your parents is good for you, right? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, that your days may go well and you may live long upon the earth. So what does that mean? What does it mean? If I obey my parents, I'll live to be 100 years old? Maybe, maybe not. Here's what I think it means. Your parents love you. Your parents care for you. It's their job to protect you. And so when they tell you to do something that you may or may not wanna do, most of the time it's for your good, right? They don't wanna see you get hurt. They don't wanna see you get hit by a car. They don't wanna see you get burned by the stove. All these things are good things that will make your life easier, make your life better, and ultimately you'll live a longer result. As a result, you'll live a longer life and a happier life because you listened to them, right? So that's, that's, that's a beautiful reason. But it also tells us to honor our parents, doesn't it? So what does it mean to honor your parents? Honor your parents uh, comes through a, the means of a proper attitude, all right? And so we have a good attitude. When they tell us to do something, we don't talk back to them. We don't get upset about it. We don't uh, ignore them. We stop and we listen to them and we do what they ask us to do with a good attitude. Sometimes that's really hard to do, isn't it? Like we don't wanna do what they want, told us to do. We wanna go play ball or we wanna go play Barbies or we wanna go play something different than what they're asking us to do. But we can be honoring to our parents by doing things with a joyful attitude, right? We can also honor our parents by doing the things that we know they want us to do without them asking us to do it, right? So we know we're supposed to clean up our room and put our toys back. What should we do? We should do it without mom or dad having to come in and demand that it gets done, right? That's not fun for you, that's not fun for them, it's not fun for anybody. But when you do things that uh, you are supposed to do, before you do them, it's a beautiful thing, right? You're happier as a result, they're happier as a result, it's a great thing. Also, you can honor your parents by showing and finding ways to tell them how thankful you are for them, right? Nothing makes me happier as a dad as when I get just a, a note or a letter or a card that, that is uh, from a heart of thanksgiving for just being their dad, right? They love that kind of stuff. Parents eat that stuff up, moms especially. And so we can honor them by telling them those things, but meaning them with our heart and showing that we mean them with our heart by living out the actions that say, I'm thankful for you, not complaining about them, not complaining about the things that they do for us, right? And so Paul instructs these kids to do this. Why do you think Paul is instructing us as kids and you guys as kids to obey our parents? Do you think it's because he wants us to just live a good life and be perfect? No. 
right? That's not what the heart of what Paul is trying to teach us as kids is that we're going to live perfect if we do everything our parents say. Because we know really quickly and we learn very fast that even obeying mom and honoring mom all the time with no mess ups is very, very hard, isn't it? It's impossible. And so that's why Paul's writing and encouraging you as kids to obey your parents so that you can try to obey and see that all your best effort will still leave you imperfect. You'll try your best and you'll fail. And failing's okay, right? Because of Jesus. And so parents, we must teach our children to be obedient primarily so that they can understand that they are incapable of perfect obedience and that they need Jesus, the one who perfectly obeyed the Father, and that his perfect obedience, not their perfect obedience, can become their obedience through faith in him. But see, because we're not the heroes of our story, are we? We're never gonna perfectly obey. We're never gonna perfectly honor Jesus did perfectly obey. Jesus did perfectly honor. And so Jesus is the hero of our story because he did that in our place for me and you, right? And it's beautiful. Paul doesn't just stop there, just talking to the kids, does he? He talks to the parents, right? And so I want you to help me listen in on what Paul gave instruction to the parents for so that you can hold them accountable, right? I think one of the greatest joys uh, that parents get to experience, and I've heard several of you that ex experience and do a great job of discipling your kids, is that when you say something to them and they look at you with you know, the puppy dog eyes, the whole nine yards, and they say, Daddy, that wasn't very Jesus-like. Like Jesus wouldn't say, and sometimes they use that and manipulate that, I get that, but sometimes it's honest, isn't it? Because the way that you're speaking or the things that you're saying doesn't look like Jesus. And so I, my hope is that Richard grows in his understanding of Jesus and the gospel so much that he can look at me from time to time with genuine uh, heart and, 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 and pure motives and say, man, that wasn't very Jesus-like. Because I need that accountability as a dad. And your parents need that accountability too. So help me help, me help them help you live a life of obedience that is built up in the gospel. Can you help me with that? All right, here we go. The second thing Paul addresses in verse four, he uses one verse to address it. It follows the same pattern that Paul's used in his writings as he addressed uh, wives first and then husbands. Uh, and so he takes that same pattern addressing those who are under authority and those who have authority here in this text is he addresses fathers next. And I'll explain a little bit about that. But I want us to see and understand that parental discipleship reflects the love of God or the love that God has for his children. And so in all of his writing, the heart of what Paul is trying to get us to do is see how the relationship between the parent and the child is reflective of the kingdom of God, right? So we learn in childlike obedience what Christ's obedience was like to his father, and we learn in our discipleship and care for our kids what God's love is like for us as he cares for us and is in concerned and lovingly and gently and tenderly and patiently wanting us to grow to be more 
like him. Verse four, up until this point, Paul has clearly spoken to both mom and dads, honor your father and your mothers. But then here in verse four, he just says fathers. So that can be kind of confusing. Is this the rest of the verse only something that the fathers are on the hook for or are moms included in this as well? Well, elsewhere, this same word that is used for father is used in other places as parents. And so one thing that we can conclude from Paul in the context in which he's speaking, the way this word was used elsewhere in scripture is that uh, the word here in Ephesians 4 means both parents, but puts like a special emphasis on fathers who are the ones in their home who will ultimately be held accountable and will give answer and accountability to God for the discipleship of his children. Doesn't mean mom doesn't play a role. It doesn't mean that mom is not a great disciple of her kids that loves Jesus maybe even more than dad and wants to teach her kids and is gifted way better than teaching their kids than dad might be. But it means that dad ultimately has the responsibility to make sure that the discipleship of his children are happening. And so as we understand this to be parents, let's look at it from that way. What shouldn't we do as parents? Bible says very clearly, Paul is, one thing I love about Ephesians is the way he so carefully articulates things. He gives us, this is not what you should do. This is what you should do. It makes it very simple. There's not a whole lot of digging in to try to understand the heart of what Paul's saying. And the first thing he says is, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger in verse four, right? But what does that mean? What does that mean? And, I, and, I, and I, I, if I had to be completely honest, I've been a dad for a little bit over two years, and so there's way more of you that are way better seasoned to understand what it means to be a dad and probably would have done a better job of, of teaching this. But I know one of the areas that I struggle with and fall short in is this one here, right? Because sometimes discipline that I give comes from a heart of I want you to do what I want you to do, not for what's really best for my kid. And right, so we can provoke our kids to anger. A couple of the ways I thought that we could uh, provoke our kids to anger that I've, I've experienced, that, I've, I've, I've ex- that Richard's experienced as a result of my parenting and that I've heard other kids talk about through years and years of youth ministry. The first way is this, failing to remember that they are kids, right? Seems so easy, but it's really pretty hard, isn't it? And we put expectations that are insane, expectations that we would have a hard time living up to on our kids who haven't lived the amount of life that we've lived. And so we can provoke our kids to anger by giving them expectations that are impossible for them to meet. That would frustrate me and it would frustrate them. Another way we can do that is by comparing them to others. Comparing them to others is a terrible way to discipline and disciple your kids because it builds in them that their identity and their acceptance is found in how they compare to other people. And that's just not the rural world, is it? Because we know that our identity is secure in Christ. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to Christ. And when we compare ourselves to other people, what do we do? It robs us of our joy. We're frustrated. We're challenged. We can't live up to the expectations and, and it hurts our hearts and souls. It's the same thing we do to our kids. The other thing that can provoke our children to anger is inconsistent discipline, right? A moving target. 
They get in trouble for this this time. They don't get in trouble for it next time. They get in trouble for something that's never been instructed. They, they, they weren't even aware that they weren't allowed to do it, but they're in trouble for doing it, right? And so we need to provide for our children consistency and clarity so that they can see what the target is and not allow it to move around. That would be frustrating and could provoke me uh, to anger. The other way, another way is failing to express approval and celebrate accomplishments, right? We'll dig into a little bit the rest of chapter number four and we'll talk about some, some really distinct and unique ways that we should be discipling and caring for our kids. And a lot of us heavy on the discipline, right? We've got that down pat, like we're good at the discipline, but sometimes even me, it's difficult for me to celebrate the good things, to celebrate the accomplishments, when good decisions were made, when obedience did happen, are we taking the time to celebrate those things with our kids? And then thirdly, I notice this a ton, especially in the older kids, as kids get older, the pressure that parents put on them to pursue their goals instead of the goals that the kids have can be overwhelming, right? So we live from a, I wish I would have done this in high school, or I wish I would have done that, or I wish I would have been this, or I wish I would have done that. And we try to push our kids into molds and roles that we wanted for ourselves and never achieved, but they may not be. They may not like to play football. They may not like to play golf. They may not like to, to play baseball. They may like to, to draw or, or uh, do drama or uh, be a cheerleader, whatever. They may wanna do all the things that you had hopes that they would never do. And like what we need to do is find out ways to encourage them in the unique ways that God has gifted them, the ways that God has created them, the way God has made them to build them up in those things instead of tear them down because they're not the things that we desired for them to do, right? That's a fine line. All these things are ways in which we can provoke our kids to anger. I'm always thankful for the way Paul writes though because he doesn't just leave us hanging there. He doesn't just give us the bad and it's like, good luck. No, he tells us what we should be doing, right? And so that's what he does as we read on in chapter, uh, verse number four, chapter number six, it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This phrase here, bring them up, creates this idea of providing nourishment, right? Nourishment, there's gentleness associated with. There's nourishment, there's encouragement. It's, it's a positive, right? Building them up means to fondly cherish them, to look at our kids as if they are a gift from the Lord, because scripture tells us what? That they're a gift from the Lord, but sometimes they don't feel like that, do they? Discipleship should be gentle, it should be patient, it should be loving, just as the Father is towards us as we grow, right? Father doesn't, doesn't condemn us, doesn't bring up all the sins of our past, he gently, carefully, loves us and lavishes that love on us in a gentle way. Sometimes hurts because we're seeing our sin for what it is, but it, we never feel condemned because of the work of the Father. If you feel condemned, you're not understanding the gospel, right? All right, and so then the word, next word we see is discipline. This involves training and punishment. 
Discipline involves training and punishment, but, but must be done out of love and gentleness and patience and not dominance, right? Hebrews chapter number 12, verse six, it says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so I wanna push back a little bit on the idea that discipline is not a good thing. Discipline done in a loving and patient and gentle and explaining and nourishing way is absolutely vital and necessary. The father loves us so much, he sends discipline, but we don't, feel, we don't feel bad about it. We don't feel condemned by it. We feel loved by it and cared for by it. And so as we discipline our kids, we must understand the need for discipline because discipline's important. Right? We need it. We don't want to forsake discipline. A lot of times, parents that operate in a grace mindset will, will just completely give away the punishment. And so we want to be graceful to our kids, and so we'll just forego this punishment. But without a good explanation of why you're foregoing that punishment, what you're teaching them is that sin doesn't have a penalty. Sin doesn't have a consequence. Right? But we know that sin does. And the beauty of the gospel is not that our punishment disappeared and that the consequences didn't get paid, but Jesus paid the consequences and the payment for our sin on our behalf. Somebody got the bad end of the deal. May not have been us, but somebody did, and that person was and is Jesus. And so we need to use discipline in a proper way to build them up and teach them that sin carries with it the eternal punishment. And so we must teach him that sin has a penalty, but in Jesus endured the penalty for all who would believe in him. And then instruction. Verse number four, he gives us, build them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is teaching, this is counseling, this is wisdom, this is admonishing. It is primarily the responsibility of parents as Paul is encouraging them to teach their children the ways of the Lord. And so as a church, we wanna come alongside of you. We wanna equip you. We wanna teach you the best way that we can. We wanna build one another up as parents like who don't feel like they're fighting this battle alone and they're learning from people in their community. They're learning from other people in the church. They're being equipped. But the primary responsibility for teaching your kids the ways of the Lord is yours, not ours. And so we wanna help you, but let's not take that responsibility lightly, right? But the truth of the matter is this. We will fail miserably at being the parents our child needs. Our children will fail miserably at obeying us as their parents. The end goal of parenting relationships shouldn't be that we raised perfect kids that did exactly what we wanted them to do, because we will not. It must be that we lovingly shepherded their hearts to the one who could heal all their hurts, whose love is perfect and will not fail them because our love for them will fail them. The one who could meet their sin with its beautiful redemption. The one whose perfect obedience can become our obedience. And the one who ultimately sets us in a right relationship with God, right? can't find our identity in anything else as parents because we understand the gospel to teach us this, that Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father, securing our acceptance and our adoption into 
God's family. Jesus on our behalf endured the rejection of the Father so that we could experience the acceptance of the Father, right? In his death, he overcame all the sin and all the broken and that kept us disconnected from the Father and the Father's love. And in Jesus' resurrection, he reunified us with the Father, restoring our identity, restoring our position, and restoring our inheritance within the family of God. And that must be where our identity as parents is founded, grounded, and rooted, right? Because much of our parenting troubles, myself included, comes from within the identity crisis that we experience, not living securely in who Christ has made us and the belonging that Christ has brought us to within the family of God, right? As parents, my encouragement is that we root our identity in the finished work of the gospel, not in comparison with other parents, not in our successes or our failures as parents, and not in our insecurities that produce condemnation on our kids and unrealistic expectations for our kids, right? Because when we're not secure as children of God who have been loved, who have been accepted, who have been forgiven, man, it starts to play itself out in really less than ideal ways. And one of the areas it always plays itself out in is the way we treat, interact, discipline, love, and care for our kids, right? And so insecurity breeds a lot of bad things. It breeds bad parent-children interactions. And so I wanna give us some ways that we can uh, practically apply the truths of this gospel, the identity that we have in Christ into our parenting. The first way is this, fight against functional parenting and for formative parenting, right? Fight against functional parenting and for formative parenting, right? I'm a practical guy. More often than not, I'm a let's get things done and let's get things done as quickly and easily as possible, right? Efficiency sometimes in my life when I'm not operating in a healthy way is supreme. And so even in parenting, I can jump to some really functional ways to get my kids to do the things that I want them to do, but may not be formative for their hearts. So let me explain a little bit about what I mean by that. Functional parenting does this. It focuses on external behavior, right? The goal is to get a child to act a certain way, to have his behavior modified to meet my expectations, right? In functional parenting, parental authority becomes the end goal, and right? And so we, we say things like this, don't we? We say they do this, why? Because I told you to do. And that may be true, but it isn't always helpful. Like kids aren't understanding why they're supposed to do the things you do. And yes, being the fact that you're the parents and saying, do it because I told you to do, that's all that matters, is good, but it's not gonna for, formulate their life to, low, to know and love Jesus, right? Parental authority can't become the end goal. Another th aspect of parent, or functional parenting is children earn a parent's acceptance through behavior or through performance, 
right? It's vital that we as parents understand that the way our kids will view and understand God and his love for them is the way that they view and understand our love for them. And so if the only way that they get affection from us is by their performance, they're gonna understand God's affection for them to be based on their performance. And we're gonna set them up to live a life of chasing God's affection and not resting in the fact that God has already given them affection, not because of the works that they have done, but because of the works that Jesus has done, right? Functional parenting is easiest sometimes, but it's not always the best. And then discipline is the problem. And discipline, or yeah, disobedience is the problem, and disobedience must be disciplined. But on the inverse of that, formative parenting does this. It focuses on the heart. It aims to raise a child who wants to behave well and do what's right because he wants to do it. Parental authority is a means toward the end of harnessing a child's will and giving them wisdom through instruction and discipline. It's not the end, it's a means to get to the end, right? Formative parents says acceptance is unconditional and is the basis of a child's behavior, not the goal of it right? Disobedience then becomes a symptom of the problem that must be disciplined as a means to getting to the root of the problem, which is sin, right? Our kids are sinful. They're not just disobedient. They're not just crazy. They're sinful and they need Jesus just as we are sinful and we need Jesus, all right? The second thing is this, and we'll be really quick here. Fight against license and legal, legalism and for liberating grace in our parenting. Legalism requires external conformity to obedience, but no transformation of the heart. Legalism talks a lot about what a child should or should not be doing, but not, does not adequately address a child's identity. Okay, who they are affects what they do, and when we attach what they do to their identity, we're teaching them that Jesus hasn't provided for them their identity. And then legalism fosters a culture of performance and seeks to motivate children by fear and consequences, right? License, license loves a child so much as they are, so much that they are, that there are no behavior change required at all. Loves a kid just as they are without any uh, instruction or discipline to behave in a way that reflects who Jesus says they are. License talks a lot about identity. It's, it's concerned with self-esteem, but does not adequately speak to the actions that flow from one's true identity as a child of God. License promotes a culture of permissiveness and seeks to promote a child's child by self-gratification, doing whatever pleases them, not what pleases the Lord. But liberating grace is something that we should fight for in our parenting. Liberating grace teaches a child that their identity is found in Jesus. And this provides the freedom to be who God has uniquely and gifted them to be. Liberating grace also teaches that a child, that true freedom comes in living out their true identity with their behaviors through faith and by the power of the Spirit. The finished work of Jesus becomes the heart of transformation 
uh, which inevitably leads to behavior transformation. And so today we really just address like big picture philosophical understanding of how we wanna parent our kids. This fall we're gonna do a three uh, week sermon series where we talk about family discipleship. And what are the nuts and bolts? How do we dig into teaching and raising our kids to be kids who love Jesus? Like what are some practical ways we can be doing that as parents? But I wanna close with this. With our restored identity in mind, we provide our children a sense of secure love by accepting them as they are, giving them a sense of belonging in our family and lavishing our affection on them. With our restored purpose in mind, we provide our children with significance by inviting them into the mission of God, affirming their strengths and gifts, and empowering them to take spirit-filled risks. Gospel-centered parenting begins with an understanding of what it means to be a child of God. As we experience his grace toward us in Christ, we reveal God to our children, right? That's, what the, that's what's at the heart of this. We're going to uh, pray. Jordan's gonna come back up. I'm gonna lead us through a time of um, response this morning. Father, I'm grateful for uh, your words. I'm grateful for uh, the youthful spirit that's been uh, in our gathering today. I hope that uh, the wor your words spoken through uh, me would be helpful, would be encouraging, that we would see our need uh, for you again, and we would fall, fall quickly and safely into the arms of a loving God who accepts us and, and loves us unconditionally. Help us to become parents who provide an environment for our kids so that they can know you and learn to follow you. I ask these things in your name, amen.